of his reign. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. He had written 1,005 songs. And he communicated this wisdom God gave him through them. And all kinds of kings and queens came to hear him because he knew all kinds of things. He knew about plant life and animals and birds and reptiles and fish. He knew about people. He knew about daily life. And people from everywhere were seeking him out, like the Queen of Sheba, who came thinking nobody could be what they said he would be. Nobody could measure up to that. But when she saw him and witnessed it all and talked with him, she left saying, they didn't even tell me half of what is true. Certainly God had blessed him with wisdom. His wealth was also incredible. He had 25 tons of gold. I don't even know how to measure that. I don't know what that looks like, but it may fill this room with gold, solid gold, pure gold in Jerusalem. Silver was so common that they thought of them as like stones. You know, that's just silver. He had 1,400 chariots, 12,000 horses, multiple palaces that he could live in. He could change from place to place, and he often did. As someone said, he had more wealth than Gates and Buffett combined and more wisdom than Plato, Aristotle, and Mark Twain combined. This was an amazing guy that God had blessed with wealth and wisdom. So at first, Solomon concentrated on unifying his kingdom and defining Jerusalem as his capital. Soon he began the momentous work of constructing the Jerusalem temple on Mount Moriah, same place where Abraham had nearly sacrificed his son Isaac. 180,000 workers, 3,300 supervisors worked for seven long years to complete this magnificent temple. It was not large by today's standards, but it was so elaborate, so ornately decorated that it would put every modern palace to shame. For instance, the walls and the ceiling of that most holy place were lined, covered with purest gold. When the temple was finished, Solomon had the Ark of the Covenant carried into the most holy place, and God immediately filled that temple with his Shekinah glory. A cloud filled the temple so completely that the priests were in there and had to get out of there. They couldn't see to do what they were supposed to do. So everybody left the building in order for God to fill it. And yet, Solomon humbly realized that even a temple as magnificent as this could not house God, could not contain God that it was simply his desire that this temple would become the focal point of Israel's worship and national life for hundreds of years to come, and it did. Following the dedication of the temple, God appeared to Solomon again, and this time, instead of wisdom, he gave him a warning. A warning. God warned him that it would take a lot of effort to stay true to God and to keep his people faithful to God. As part of his warning, he promised Solomon his royal dynasty would endure forever if he remained faithful to God. But on the flip side of that, he also said, if you do not remain faithful, then destruction is going to come. It will be disastrous in its results for you if you try to follow anyone else. So God told him what would happen, actually predicted that it was going to happen. And he said, but when it does happen, if you turn back, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. That is our national prayer today, isn't it? That is the prayer of the nation of America today. As we have left God, we need to humbly come before him. And so God gave the prescription. He gave the remedy. He knew what his descendants and Solomon would do So his warning was timely. Solomon was going to need this because God knew it was going to happen. The test 
was to come. And it wasn't a test of what he would do publicly. It was what he was going to do privately. What was going to be in his own heart? Solomon's rule began very well, but the king who had it all lost it. And at the end of his life, Solomon's reign experienced God's judgment upon him, upon his nation. In his final years, he had to fight to maintain control of his realm. And upon his death, it was quickly divided into two kingdoms, one north and one south, one called Israel, one called Judah. So what went wrong? What went wrong? That's the big question. And people have different answers. Where did this guy named Solomon lose the success that he had been blessed with? How did the wisest man who ever lived start looking like a fool? Well, maybe it was that he got distracted by the building projects. Some people say he got so involved. 20 years he spent on the temple and the the, uh, palace in Jerusalem. And all these people were devoted to that. And his mind was absorbed with that. He says even in Ecclesiastes that he really got into these building things. That he loved the construction. He loved the design. He loved all of that. And maybe while he was so focused on that, he neglected his heart. He neglected spiritual matters. Even the reasons for why he was doing what he was doing. Sometimes that can happen to a person, can it? Some people say that maybe it was his politics. Maybe it was his diplomacy. He loved to to interact with the other nations, with the other kings and queens. And they often would come to him, the Bible says, because of his wisdom. And often he would leverage that for the alliance he could get. And many of the wives that he got were political alliances because they were queens of other countries. And it was a, it was a, it was a political move. And so if he was so divided, devoted to that, Maybe that turned him away. And some people say it was the women themselves. His 700 wives and 300 concubines. Yes, you heard that right. 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, the 300 concubines just weren't queens. They were not of that status, I guess. And maybe that was it. Maybe it was the women who messed him up. Some say that Solomon had this libido problem, that he was out of control constantly lusting after another woman, another conquest. How ironic for a man who said in Proverbs, like in Proverbs 5, be faithful to your wife just as you take water from your own well. Don't be like a stream from which just any woman may take a drink. Save yourself for your wife. Don't have sex with other women. He said it in Proverbs. He didn't live it. In Ecclesiastes 2, Solomon wrote about all the things he experimented with. He says in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, I I pursued these things. I went after these things. I wanted to try them all out. I didn't hold back any pleasure of life. I, I tried it all. He wanted to know by personal experience, but he says, I kept my wisdom with me. I kept looking. I kept evaluating. I kept observing. I kept trying to understand. And so he says, I trade pleasures of various kinds. I tried laughter and wine and, and folly and, and drugs if they were available. He undertook great construction projects we've talked about. He traded in commerce. He did politics. He designed fantastic gardens and, and groves and reservoirs. He bought many slaves, male and female. And then he had many slaves within his household by them. And then he had more flocks and herds than anyone else in Jerusalem had ever had. And so he says, I didn't deny myself any pleasure of man. And yet, at the end of it all, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, here's the end. (laughs) This is the conclusion of what I saw when I did all that. Life is meaningless. Life is void. Life doesn't bring satisfaction. And for a time, he hated life, he said. It was all just chasing after the wind and pointless. 
He had a million little points of pleasure, but no joy, no satisfaction in pursuing all of those things. Fortunately, by the end, you read the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, he says, now I understand. Now I finally got it right. Chapter 12, now all has been heard and seen and done. Here's the conclusion. He says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Finally got it in the last part of his life. Unfortunately, by then it was too late to save the nation of Israel. So when did it all go wrong? Why did it all go wrong? Was it his work, his politics, the many women in his life that caused him to lose the wisdom God had given him? No matter which of these things led the most into the trouble that he experienced, into his fall, we have to notice one thing, and that is that it didn't happen all at once, did it? It took some time. Didn't happen overnight. Wasn't like his father David, you know, who everything was going great, and he pulled back from the battle for a little bit, and he's up there on the roof of the of the palace, and then he saw Bathsheba. He called her to the palace, and he had sex with her, and then, and then everything just was terrible after that. It wasn't a one-night thing. Solomon's was a train wreck that took a long time. He was starting to go off tracks for a long time before he even knew it, before any kind of, of uh, consequences befell him. And God allowed this, this lifestyle to continue until finally it destroyed what God had given him. And behind, whether it was the politics or the building projects or the women, was a heart problem. There was a big heart problem in Solomon. The problem was his heart because his heart was not right. His heart was not fully devoted to God. His heart was not the heart of someone whose chief pursuit and priority in life is God. Whose idea, I want to pursue God, I want to seek God, I want to know God. This man was distracted. This man was preoccupied too preoccupied with the world to devote himself exclusively to God and to the ways of God. We see this clearly in 1 Kings 11. Here's what the Bible says. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed his people not to intermarry with those nations because the women they married would lead them to worship their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He knew better. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, and sure enough, they led his heart away from the Lord. And in Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship their gods instead of trusting only in the Lord his God as his father David had done. And in fact, he built temples to their false gods at his wives' requests. Solomon's story began with great promise and wisdom and amazing achievements, but it ended in bitter disappointment and tragedy, and God knew that's where it was going to go. He had prohibited Jewish men from marrying, intermarrying with the other nations, and yet Solomon thought he knew better than God. He ignored what God said, and this single sinful choice to love and marry foreign women sealed the fate of his descendants in the nation of Israel. The legacy he could have left was tarnished by disobedience and idolatry. What a sad ending for a king who had it all but lost it. And for all of the successes he had, Solomon did not finish well. It was gradual. Didn't seem like he was even doing that much wrong at the time. He was still going to church. 
He was still worshiping God. He was offering his offerings. He was making his sacrifices. It wasn't like he was throwing his children into the fire like his neighbors were. And everything seemed okay. But it wasn't. Hear what the Bible said again. He loved many foreign women, and those women led his heart away from the Lord. His heart turned away from the Lord. You know, if you start a long journey, you start a long journey, maybe not so much by road because you have to follow the roads, but let's say you're in a boat and you're trying to go to the other side of this, you know, gulf of some kind. And you miscalculate your direction by one degree, it's really not much of a problem at the beginning because you could easily correct that. But if you kept one degree off for that whole journey of a 1,000 miles, you wouldn't come anywhere close to your destination because that one degree is so important. A small deviation from true north always yields disastrous consequences in the end. And so Solomon should have known if he was just a degree off where that would go. He even talked about this. He says in Proverbs 14, he says, The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. That is, those who are wise think about where they're going. They think about what their life is about. They think about what they're doing. But fools don't. They just live the moment, and then their lives are destroyed. Perhaps you remember the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray. Anybody a fan of that movie? It's a hilarious movie in some ways, but this is a movie story about a guy who has to experience the same day over and over again. He can't get away from that same day. Let me ask you a question. If you were somehow doomed to live the same life over and over again for eternity, you have to live the same life over and over again, you get reincarnated to the same life, live it exactly the same again. Would you choose the life you are living now? Would you say, okay, I like the one I have. I think I'll just keep doing the same thing the rest of my life for the rest of eternity. And here's the kicker. If you answered that question and your answer was no, I'm not going to live the same way I'm living now then why are you living that way now? There it is. If you're not satisfied with the life you have, if you're not satisfied with the relationship you have with God or with other people, if you're not satisfied with the direction of your life and what you think it's going to achieve, then why keep living that life? Why not make the change now? You see, knowing what to do and doing it are two very different things. Solomon knew what to do. He wrote it down. He put it in the Proverbs for us. He wrote it down so we would know, and this is the wisdom of God that is still valid for us, but Solomon didn't do what he knew. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. The wise think about where they're going. They have to be intentional. They have to be purposeful. They have to be practical in following and obeying God's commands. They have to listen to God. They need to leave their hearts open to God. And the supreme irony of Solomon's life is this is what he failed to do. He knew what to do, and he didn't do it. So the Bible reminds us today one simple thing, and that is to stand firm. Stand firm. Begin well and finish well. 
Stay the course. Get the right direction going in your life. Get close to God. Listen to God and follow that. Don't be like Solomon who had it all but lost it. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So stand firm. Don't let anything around you, don't let anything distract you, don't let anything dissuade you, don't let anything corrupt you. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 is like that. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith, it says. Be courageous. Be strong. And I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, today to stand firmly on our foundation, which is Jesus Christ, who is unmovable, unchangeable. He is the rock of our life. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Are you building your life on him? And to stand firm, we need to use the walls of defense that God has given us. He's given us the Holy Spirit to be inside of us, to strengthen and guide us. He's given us the Word. He's given us prayer. He's given us each other. He's given us the church. He's given us the instruction of other people. He's given us the encouragement, the motivation that others can give us so that we can stay strong and stand firm. Solomon didn't finish well. David watched his family destroyed. Saul was a a master at, at making excuses and finally had to commit suicide. But not everyone ends up with regrets. There are some that stand firm. There are some that finish well. And that must be true of us. My father, Dwight Ohm, is 89 years old. He's 89 years old. Mom died a few years ago, and so he's been living alone. He's had to learn how to cook and clean because he never did that before. He's had to learn a lot of things about living independently, but we are amazed at how he continues to live that way and the influence that he can have in his kids and grandkids and great-grandkids' lives and his neighbors and his friends and all the contacts he makes. He's just a simple, uh, simple life kind of person. But I have to admit, here's a guy that's standing firm. Here's a guy that is staying true. This is a guy that is staying the course. This is a guy that I have no doubt is going to finish well. His finish may come in a few months. It may come in a few years. Maybe a while yet. His brother just died at 99, so Dad may be with us another few years. I don't know. But I want you to know I admire him with my whole heart because here is a man that I know better than probably any other man I could know. I've I've seen him in every situation. I've seen the ins and outs of his life. I've seen the ups and downs. I've seen him when he lost his job. I've seen him when he had to move. I've seen him when, when he lost his wife. I've seen him when his brothers have died. I've seen all this different stuff go on in his life. And here's a guy that stands firm. Here's a guy that's going to finish well. And I'll tell you something. I want to be like that. Don't you? Don't you want to be that follower of Christ that stands firm, that stays true, that finishes well? God, help us to do that. God, help us to be strong. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your blessing today on us because we know the frailty of our own hearts. We know that too many times we're like Solomon. We know what to do, but it's so hard to do it. Give us faith. Give us strength. Give us courage. And help us to stand firmly 
on Jesus, not on our own righteousness, not our own goodness, not on our own wisdom or intelligence, but to know that it's all about you and it's all about what you can do in our lives. I thank you for my father. I thank you for so many like him who have not yielded, who have not been corrupted, who have not given up because it was just too hard. And I pray, God, that I can be a man like that. I pray, God, that my brothers and sisters can be men and women like that. And that you will be glorified through our lives, through our testimony, and your kingdom will grow. We pray in Jesus' name.